Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. is sponsored by Borsetshire Technical College Environmental Health Department. If you're interested in a career in catering, come and learn about dairy hygiene and cheese making and washing your hands carefully. This is Hugsy. I may be a bit, bit late to the party, but better late than never. Here is The Archers. Can I tell you something really, really quick about my children? Yeah, go on. They said... They said uh, this is Agapanthus and Clementus, you know, your kids. <laughs> Agapanthus and Dementor, yeah. They said... Uh, uh, they call, sort of called me into the kitchen and they said, Mummy, we just wanted um, to, to talk about uh, what that thing that you and Royfield do about the archers. And I said, oh, right. And they said, we just wanted to say, well done for keeping trying. And I said, right. Thank you. What 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 exactly do you mean? And they said, because we think it's really good that you're keeping going. And if you keep trying, eventually they will let you on. <laughs> <laughs> and they just thought we were doing some massively long and involved audition piece to get on the archers. I, I think your children are much wiser than you give them credit. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get to the caller in us on this truncated Easter show, Let's hear about Lucy V. Freeman's week in Ambridge. We started the week with Elizabeth being nominated for Tent Flap of the Year, courtesy of Lillian, who had a gigantic hangover and was drawing moustaches on Annabelle Shrivener in Borsetshire Life when Elizabeth rang to tell her. 
It's you, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, that's made Lower Loxley a go-to destination, she said. Or more accurately, a runaway from destination. Jill couldn't bloody wait to clear out of the place, trundling along, pumping her writing desk behind her along the gravel. Then we got a lesson in seeds from David talking to Johnny. Mm. Seeds go in the ground and the sunshine and the rain make the flowers grow, said David, pretending to be an acorn growing into an oak. There's so much I don't know, said Johnny. (laughs) That seems brilliant. Then David completely bewildered him by saying that they were planting rye, timothy and clover, which sounded more like someone calling the register at a Islington primary school. Rex bought eight chocolate Easter eggs for him and Toby. What are they, six? Toby described Matthew as the northern powerhouse, making Toby a southern Wendy house. Mm. Then the hen house burst into flames. Toby rang the fire brigade and said, it's urgent. Well, it would be really, wouldn't it? It's on fire, but it's fine. Take your time. Toby said Bertie's gutted, as was the hen house. Was it arson or somebody arson about? Anyway, good job it wasn't the next day. It would have been the world's biggest rotisserie. Edmund has got a certificate, his first ever certificate for spraying. It's going on the wall, apparently, which will delight Caroline and Oliver when they come back to find a picture of Ed with his hose in his hand on the sitting room wall. Bert (laughs) and Linda are having an open garden off. It's Resurgam versus the Frida Fry Memorial Garden. And here's where my Frida used to stand and fiddle with her clematis. I'm fed up with Christmas, Linda, now, and I want sneezing summer, Linda, back. Anyway, she's decided that her Resurgam garden wants to make a statement. I think it's probably saying, shut up, you self-important old cow. They've let Rory out of the cupboard for Easter. No one recognised him, so he went to sit in the flaming hen house. Clary says they have bounced back after their horrible anus, then decided that Alf was nicking stuff (laughs) out of her wallet, so maybe her anus will continue being horrible for a bit longer. The end. Hurrah! Huzzah! (laughs) (laughs) Steady! No, I, no you know you 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 went through you rattled through that at, at a, a proper clip and you ended with gusto my sister from another mister <laughs> lucy v freeman give us the week in ambridge go We start with Naughty Brian. Naughty Brian is now reduced to getting his kicks by secretly driving his tractor when Jenny Darling is out. He got away with it once, then Jenny Darling reappeared, smacked the back of his legs and sent him back to play with Buddy and the two Steves in the kitchen. Would that, would that play up with his sciatica if he's got something on <laughs> It would. <laughs> the creme de la creme of builders, as Jenny described them, which means they are thick and white, presumably. One of them has got a pet robin, which mystifyingly Brian appears to have taken a violent dislike to I don't know why it's done that I don't know maybe it's a new chair of BL or something now how long have Lillian and Linda been best buddies have we all missed another meeting in which that was decided no but when their dreadful offspring came back last mm-hmm. year they did kind of bond over their kind of general miscreant kind of offspring didn't they they did, they did. so well, this right. isn't completely out of nowhere okay well, they trooped up to Chelsea for the flower show. The word of the episode was agapanthus. That's agapanthus. <laughs> it appeared about 15 times 
giving rise on Twitter to the expectation that it was the name James and Liany were going to pick for the Snellamy baby. Lillian expressed her doubts about James's potential child-rearing abilities. I think this is one occasion when a child having an absent father would be a positive boon. It would have been even more ideal had James been absent for the conception, but we can't have everything. It reminded Lillian of when she was carrying James, carrying him to the cash machine at gunpoint, probably. Titchinob inveigled himself into the bank of Peggy and ever so accidentally blew the gaff about idiot boy feeding his pigs on Chinese takeaway or whatever it was. That was One... not a mistake, was it? That was <laughs> well, so absolutely. not a mistake. Yeah. Mm. One thing I learned from Jack, says Peggy, is it pays <laughs> to take advice from people who know what they're talking about. So clearly, what you do when you are managing an organic meat business is take advice from a nonagenarian ex-pub landlady and the manager of a mega dairy staffed by the walking wounded. Robert Snell has planned a lovely treat for Lindy Bottom's birthday. She doesn't know what it is, but it involves Fallon, which sounds Ooh. as if it might be slightly more of a lovely treat for Robert, but we'll see. No, no, that'd so, be a lovely treat for me. For anybody that the flipping kitchen units reared their warped and woodwormy heads again in <laughs> Jenny Darling's desperate attempt to do her Lady Bountiful act and pass the damn things on. Clary Love is the latest person to decline the units with graceful thanks. At this rate, Jenny Darling will be reduced to ingratiating herself with Adele the Ferret as a potential beneficiary. Jennifer, skip. Units put on end of. Let us never speak of this again. Ruth feigned interest in Jenny Darling's sticky drawers for long enough to establish that she didn't give a flying granite workshop about the new road scheme. <laughs> Why is it not just a new road? Why does it have to be a scheme? Or is that to make it sound more evil? Jenny Darling went into huge detail about her new tax. Bearing in mind, Brian cannot open a spreadsheet without panicking and ringing Debbie. These taps sound slightly too advanced for him. You can choose between boiling water, sparkling or chilled, she twittered to Ruth. I give it five minutes before Brian's accidentally given himself a boiling jacuzzi in the eye. Um... <laughs> Helen did her usual dithering over whether or not it was A, a good thing, or B, a bad thing that Bridge Farm could lose its organic status. Torn between pleasing her two daddies, namely Titchy Knob and Tony the Walking Embolism, she agreed with both in the other's absence. She does like an older man, doesn't she? Remember oh, Greg? God, he yeah. was awful. Oh, God. Mm, uh, sorry, I don't yeah, have to put you off your stride. Though. Morose and miserable. Yeah. And, uh, that's fine. But hurrah. Bridge Farm, which has had more last-minute lucky breaks than Scooby-Doo, lives to provide organic chickpeas <laughs> to the good people of Borsetshire for another day. Not that that was good enough for the walking embers, oh. who couldn't wait to tell Bank of Peggy that it was all idiot boys' fault and that they were all doomed. We meandered <laughs> down Mammary Lane with Jolene and her reminiscence. Ooh. So the mobility walkers now include Wayne Tucson Rogers, the alcoholic master baker and guitar player <laughs> and then da 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 the return of idiot boy the walking embolism sounded so completely on the verge of bursting with fury that he's dragging a drip and a fully staffed cardiac arrest unit I around think, with him you know what i think he was he's grown his beard he, he's that existential seek isn't he <laughs> <laughs> i bet he hadn't shaved he's mom said, oh you look so pale and she said but you haven't shaved as well oh and you, you look and so seek she said yeah, and you're wearing a <laughs> turban where's that come from you got the 5Ks. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter went nuts straight away with people yelling, Canada! Rob came from Canada! He got in the job! So, Gollum Titchinobs got Idiot Boy right where he wants him, out of the way, isolated Helen, 
and a ready meal business at a knockdown price with a balloon arch and 7,000 sausage rolls thrown in. A hey, Mountie whoa, always gets his whoa, man. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, what, what? Did Rob what, what, really what? come from Canada? Yes. You know what I said last week about me only listening to the archers sometimes with, with half an ear? Once every six months, yeah. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Actually, to be completely honest, I'd forgotten that. And it was when Twitter, within about two seconds, people going, ah, Canada, Canada, you see? Canada, Canada, Canada. He came from Canada. That was where he'd worked before. Mm. And he's been having all these little chats, hasn't he, with Tom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, people reckon, uh-huh. the voice of Twitter reckons that the hive mind says that he got him the job and he's now going to take over the business. That would make complete yep. sense. And yeah. then Charlie Barker's spreadsheet, Barber's spreadsheet, is going to boot him out of the, the mega dairy anyway. Yep. So yep. He, just, he just, you know, exit yep. stage left and enter stage Pursued right. by a bear. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Pursued by a bear. You're so good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, sorry, where were you? I finished. Oh, hurrah! Yes. Hurrah! What do you mean, hurrah? That's nice. Oh, hurrah! You finished. No, I mean Brilliant. like hooray for your for your monologue. Oh, I see. Oh, thank you. Oh, sorry, should we uh, cue canned laughter now? <laughs> <laughs> for all of that, let's go to Lisa V Freeman and a week in Ambridge. We started the week at the fair. <clears throat> Remember that? The Easter fair, jollity and folder rolls, etc. Elizabeth was pictured by the local rag with a Harris hawk perched on her arm or up her nose or something. I wasn't paying attention. I was too busy listening to her doing her oozy schmoozy voice to Docky Locky. Also, Elizabeth gets all snobby about the local press when I think she should be grateful she gets any coverage at all. Oh, it's just next week's chip paper, she says. The only two interesting things about Elizabeth is that her husband did a triple psycho off the roof and the fact that she rogered her assistant manager senseless while pissed on Scrumpy. She can only talk about one of these things and quite frankly, she talks about the wrong one. I think Borsetcher Echo would love an exclusive with pornographic intent, My Life Under My Undermanager by Elizabeth Pargeter. It would sell tens of copies in the shop once Susan had scratched out the interesting bit of the Stanley knife, obviously. Helen lost her temper with Piggy Willy, but quite frankly, you don't have to be pregnant and tense not to cope with Piggy when she's in full Daily Mail spate. Why has your son, Little Henry Sound Effect, got a cuddly toy? Is he a girl? Well, don't worry, mm-hmm. Piggy. Rob then chucked the thing down the waste disposal, so that's that. Dan's friend Dorothy finally turned up. She sounded... Well, she sounded like all the other middle-class women in Ambridge. Shula met her, and on finding she was teetotal, hastily pretended she hadn't knocked back a bottle and a half of Chardonnay before she arrived. Anyway, Dorothy said, don't worry, Shula, you just sit back after lunch and Dan and I will wash up and make a cup of tea. Or rather, I will, while Dan stands about looking macho. Not that Dan has got much to look macho about, as he's oatless. So Dorothy of the chastity belt has got her knickers <laughs> firmly hauled up to just under her underwired M&S bra, and she ain't dropping them for anybody. Well, not until she meets Toby Fairbuttock anyway, or possibly Brian. Hello. <laughs> and the village hall has opened. Hurrah, goodness, how we've missed it. Haven't we? Oh. Linda drew back her curtains and Annika Rice jumped out, which was a shock for all concerned. For those of you who don't know who Annika Rice is, she was a TV personality famous for leaping out of a helicopter in a jumpsuit with a big bottom. And it's not often you see a helicopter in a jumpsuit. Ambridge has officially had more celebrity guests now than Graham Norton so far. Next week, Elton John and David Furnish drop in on Adam and Ian. Anyway, Annika made a moving speech. She sounded a bit like the Queen with a bit of a chesty cough. 
When I heard the headlines about the floods and the sewage, my thoughts immediately turned to Ambridge. I thought of you all a great deal and hoped several of you were drowned. Sadly, I can see <laughs> here today. It was all worth it, though, for the opportunity to hear Linda caroling, Annika, Annika. Uh, just a quick uh, catch up on Annika Rice for those of you overseas who don't know what we're on about. She was on a programme called Treasure Hunt in which an elderly newsreader in horn-rimmed glasses sat in the studio with Eileen and Malcolm Dumpit from Cleckheaton and they answered clues like when church bells ring sideways and water falls upwards and there's no place like home and then Eileen and Malcolm thought for a moment and then said we're not sure but we think it might be Chalfonts and Giles. And then got tangled up in lots of ordnance <laughs> survey maps while Annika buzzed around in a helicopter waving at gaggles of cheering schoolchildren. Then she did another one called Challenge Annika, where she'd helped communities restore youth clubs and church halls and things by persuading leering plumbers to offer their downpipes for free. There we go. Quick cycle through 80s English TV for you. And that was the good stuff. And then we had The Village Production, a Bolshevik look back at the jolly pre-mechanical days of farming. Mayday celebrations, consumption, malnutrition. It was even more boring than normal. And Annika said she could only get through it if she could have Jacob's Creek on a drip. The audience seemed less than impressed, but that may have been because Eddie took the unusual step of muttering the last few words that everyone said on stage. It's a theatre equivalent of someone whose lips move as they're reading. Over at Gaslight Cottage... Things continued in much the same vein. In two plot holes Joe could drive Bartleby through, Helen left her phone unattended yet again for Rob to pick up and answer. Then Rob left his phone unattended and then the midwife left a message with the husband rather than speaking directly to the mother. But then we had Sunday when Helen and Henry held Rob down, chopped his genitals off and filled the resulting hole with custard. Did that not happen? Well, it happened in my head. The end. Woof. So, where did we start, Freeman? Oof. But first, before those mountain of calls. It's an EU butter mountain of calls, isn't it? <laughs> Let's hear about Lucy V. Freeman and her week in Ambridge. It's been a very good week on the Archers, with no less than three right you are's. That's always a good sign. However, no one saw themselves out, I was sad to note. The general jolliness was only marred by practically every member of the Archers clan saying what a lot they had to look forward to, which means one of them is going to be dead within the fortnight. Wayne seemed to be flirting with Jolene through the medium of parsley. She garnished something. <laughs> he told her she had a light touch with parsley and she used her Cadbury's caramel voice to say, I don't know whether that's a compliment or not. What? Of course it is. Trying to turn that into some sort of arch innuendo would be a reach even for me. Yes, Jolene saying you are good with parsley is a compliment. If he'd said you're a massive idiot and you never had a clue what to do with bloody parsley, that would be an insult anyway. Kenton is being a dick about it, which is a huge surprise to absolutely no one. So Jolene shut Kenton and Wayne in the kitchen. They both got their willies out, flopped them on a chopping board, <laughs> fished them, and Kenton's was a bit bigger, so he won. And somehow Wayne ended up with a permanent temporary job in the bull kitchen. The Brookers archers did their normal, completely normal and completely normally normal, not weird at all thing. And parents, child and child's boyfriend all had Valentine's Day together. No. Nothing odd here. Nothing at all. Move on. Keith is coming to assess Johnny's final practical next week. Judging by the way Johnny has been ploughing a furrow through the women of Borsetshire, Malaga and everywhere else, I'm not quite <laughs> sure exactly what kind of practical Keith is actually going to be assessing. Even Bert seems to have fallen in love with the artist formerly known as Rich. 
You remind me of myself, he said, seven minutes after Tom said Johnny reminded him of John. Poor Johnny. It must be great to have an entire village not having the foggiest who you are and just keep talking about how much you remind them of someone else. No wonder he's having an identity crisis and keeps changing his name. Next week he'll announce he wishes to be known as Frida Fry. <laughs> Titchy Knob has left a chicken in the chill cabinet. I don't know. Dogs in the cattle feed. Agricultural workers jamming up the culvert. You're losing your grip, darling. Have a sit down. You'll be over-ordering coconuts next. And talking of nuts... The fair brethren were invited to Pip's birthday drinks, as were Chris and Alice. Yay! Invite the mute blacksmith and his wedding-planning astrophysicist wife. They always make the party go with a swing. Why not invite Carol Toboggan, too, and they can all chat away together? Uh, Bossy Git Bert started interfering with Joe and reminding him as Joe swaggered around Grange Farm, shouting, Get off my land! That A, it wasn't his land. B, it wasn't his farm. C, they weren't his cows. <laughs> and D, he probably shouldn't have put the cows that weren't his on the land that wasn't his in the first place. But still, bugger off, Bert. And a load of cows left Brookfield and we all wept. Probably. Well... I didn't. I was trying to scrape baked on mash off the worktop, but I felt as if I should be crying. Anyway, don't worry. <laughs> this is Brookfield. They'll probably get halfway up the M3 and either all start singing My Old Man Said Follow the Van before they all die at a services, or they'll turn round and gallop back down the hard shoulder saying they shouldn't leave, it was all a mistake, and what were they thinking? Uh, Linda is doing some sort of flipping nonsense pageanty thing. Mm. Could we not have a break? We've had the auditions for Calendar Girls. Then we had the Calendar Girls crisis. Then we had actual Calendar Girls. Then the Calendar Girls sodding reunion. Please, God, could we have a week without someone being forced, kicking and screaming to play a part that they turn out to be brilliant at? And the decline of Lillian spirals gloomily on, with her showing Justin around the Dower House. Justin is basically marrying Lillian, apparently without her knowledge. His wife appears to have cleared off and he has co-opted Lillian as new wifey. She is repainting her own house with his money. She is dressing herself with his money and it's all completely baffling and is frankly making her look daft and him look creepy. And I've got nothing against Justin being made to look creepy, but for heaven's sake, could Lillian please make a sensible choice about a man just for once? Or better still, could she not discover her inner Birkenstock, throw caution to the winds and have a mad lesbian affair with Anthea? She's capable, forceful, and she sounds like the sort of woman who could get Lillian up Lakey Hill with her eyes closed. The end! <laughs> Do you think she could find her Clementis? <laughs> she could. But first, it's Lucy Freeman's Week in Ambridge. haymaking at Brookfield was so relaxed they could all stop and eat scotch eggs and point at birds. Hootie couldn't join them as her bees had swarmed. I think that might be a euphemism for gone a bit potty. They said her bees have swarmed in the same way that people say she's a bit of a character, which means she wears her pants on her head and eats tippex. Lillian has started referring to Helen as a mole. Really? I think of her more as a gerbil, personally. Mind you, as Lillian is currently washing in the horse trough and peeing in a bucket, she sounds remarkably sanguine. This is probably because she has managed to inveigle the horrifying Anthea into the role of Justin's secretary. Yay, give it five months and she'll be boosting the router under Justin's desk, just the way Lillian did. We had a little mother-son chatette with Freddie and Elizabeth. Between them, they have a whole half a brain. I do not like exams because my brain hurts, said Freddie. I do not like them, but also, luckily, it did not matter for me, said Elizabeth. To be honest, it probably won't matter for you either, Freddie Pargeter. Someone will probably push you off the roof with or without your GCSEs, just on personality alone. 
<laughs> if you're tired and hungry, I'll find you something to eat, said Elizabeth vaguely. I'm sure someone can tell me where the kitchen is if I ask nicely, and I'll use that hot cupboardy thing that the staff use. Justin and Matt, who are together shadier than a sun hat factory, got together to talk about Latif, who also sounds like someone I wouldn't invest in a bingo card with, let alone a Costa Rican racecourse. Latif is part of a company called Smelling Industries, run by Hugo Smelling. Matt described him as a head honcho. He must have very powerful back legs. The fact he's called Hugo and went to public school means he's entirely, in Justin's mind, legit, and entirely, in the rest of our minds, a git. Linda couldn't keep away from the Uffizi when she was in Italy. Probably all those sun-dried tomatoes. Do I see a book group looming? I thought we had one before. Scriptwriters, I do not believe for a second that Linda has not read Middlemarch. Of course she has. But it comes as no surprise that Neil is reading The Girl on the Train and has only got as far as crew. Krusty and Jill have made up. They went down to the orchard to have a potter around. I don't know what they were doing, but Jill said to Krusty that she wanted a bit more smoke, and then they both sounded much more relaxed and happy. No wonder Jill makes so much cake. Sausage Boy is back. He shouldn't be called that now. Compost bin? He's in a near constant state of ferment and brought back a load of bubbly mush from wherever the hell he's been. But he turned into bubbly mush himself when he discovered that Justin is going to give them one million dollars for a field. He'd already ordered himself a 24 karat gold bucket before Tony got a word in and the word was, with characteristic Toniness, uh no. Rex and Anisha are playing silly bugger games, which you should stop doing as soon as you reach puberty. If you're not in fifth year, then pack it in. Anyway, Pip decided to troll up in her quad bike with the squeaky brakes and said, Hi, Rex. You know, Toby. Well, I should have gone for you, actually, Rexy. I do hope I haven't made you late for a date with someone else. Oh, I am a silly girl. The exciting news is that Freddie has gone to the Isle of Wight. Hurrah! Elizabeth was worried sick as she couldn't get hold of Freddie on his mobile. He's saving his battery, said Lily. That's what you do at a festival. I didn't need to save my battery, said Elizabeth crossly. I had Roy. Amber was due to share Freddie's tent, but her grandmother had a stroke, which is more than Johnny's going to get. Freddie seemed to get as excited about sleeping under canvas as his mother gets, although his total inability to get the tent pole into the hole makes me think Johnny will probably be safe, although I hope Johnny zips himself into his sleeping bag right up to the neck, or it could be Freddie throwing stones at his window in a few months' time. And stones! Brilliant! The end. Oh dear, I I quite enjoyed that this week, as well as we say. <laughs> That's very good. That's a little impersonation. <laughs> um, I, I I'm not as long as Terry. I do. I'm 34 years. How long are you, Tom? 43, 44. 43. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 43 see... years, mate. Man and boy. Yeah, well, <laughs> mostly boy, but you know, there we go. And my manhood will come eventually, I'm sure. Yeah. Is that, is that, so, Terry, do you still see Tim as a bit of a novice? If he's, you know. Oh, he's, he's, a, he's what they call an incomer, isn't he? You know, yeah, he's got to be. You've got to be there for fifty years before he even considered part of Ambridge. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a foreigner, basically. For, a foreigner, a yeah. foreigner. Yeah, foreigner. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, gents, with a show that's been running since 1951, um, actors leaving or dare I say passing on uh, must happen quite often. Are there any rituals or anything that the cast does to observe um, actors that have passed away? There's, there's not a, a, a set ritual, no. I yeah. mean, it's the same as when, when any friend goes. You know, if, yeah. if you can, you go to the funeral, you write yeah. letters, mm-hmm. you miss them. They're, they're not there anymore. They leave a gap. Um, yeah. and, um, but that's the extraordinary thing about the Arches. Because it happens in real time, 
um, de- you know, in, in in a way that it wouldn't happen in a play on stage, in a, you know, in a in a film or in a telly. Um, the only equivalent really would be for it to happen in a long-running television series like, you know, Coronation Street or EastEnders or something like that, um, because it all happens in real time when when the actor dies. Usually, um, the character dies with it. If it's if the if the actor uh, sadly dies, you know, a bit young, then then they can be recast, and have been. Um, but usually, if they're if they're, you know, if, if they're of a good age, then the character will will pass away. Um, and so it's that's quite strange because you have sort of two deaths. Um, you know, you have the death of the actor, and then you have the death mm. of the character. So it's a, a sort of double whammy, isn't it, mm. Terry? Very much so. And, and I mean, obviously, people will die and perhaps die suddenly. And uh, the programme sometimes looks for a way to maintain that character, not necessarily vocally on screen, but for a time, and then let them go. I mean, I think the exception to that was when uh, when um, Graham Roberts died, that his family wanted him to die on the programme as well at the same time. Um, yeah. And it was it was um, you know it had to be done because they didn't want him hanging around in the air if you like um, for years afterwards. Um, so yeah, it, it has to be handled with sensitivity, you know. And uh, there are dramatic deaths, there are very gentle passing aways, um, as I'm sure we will discuss um, as we go through the program. Hello, it's Miss Mid City here. I remember you saying that the Dumpty Dum cupboard was bare. Here is my offering. That was me playing the clarinet, uh, playing four different parts and recording it on Garage Band. Um, yes, that's what you do when you're utterly bored and there's no archers to listen to thank you it's lucy v freeman's week in ambridge we began the week with pat and tony being so unbelievably spineless they ended up spending a day watching an elf migration with rob well done you two helen's so lucky to have you on her side dressed as elves um hootie and jill hootie jill and carol toboggan were having a chat about the robin helen case when pip arrived on her way to go and do work experience with the fair buttocks this week she worked for nothing for the fair buttocks and then helped adam move cattle she does work for brookers doesn't she maybe she needs reminding hootie jill offered her a coffee and she refused which raised one of the perennial mysteries of ambridge why do people say oh i haven't got time for coffee i have to crack on as if it takes hours no one's asking them to grow the beans or even grind them just say thank you pour drink down gullet and leave the way people in ambridge talk about it is as if they're wary of getting involved in a four-hour long japanese tea ceremony Anna and Carol Toboggan went out for lunch and Anna talked a lot about Max and the fact that there is no use of the pronoun makes me think that Max is a woman. Yay! So when she wins the case, Tichinob will have been beaten by a woman who, to add insult to injury, does not even have any use for his Tichinob at all. Ha ha ha! And then (laughs) Helen and Max and Anna and Kaz can all live in Suffolk bliss in Ambridge while Toby steams up the windows. I may be getting ahead of myself. 
On the plus side, the stalled storyline seems to have lurched into first gear thanks to the intervention not of Anna Toboggan, the invisible therapist, or the prison chaplain, but of the Honourable Kaz Croydon. Hurrah! Let us hope the storyline might pick up speed now, as long as we leave the break off and park it on a hill. Lillian and Justin had a shuddery little encounter in which, for reasons best known to herself, Lillian started quoting Dick Emery. Oh, you are awful, but I like you. It's an unusual method of flirtation. Could be worse, though. We could have had shut that door with Everard and Slack Alice. Beverly Drains <laughs> is dead. Thoughts go out to whichever scriptwriter thought that was a good idea. We had some hilarious exchanges between Jolene and Wayne. Well, we think it was Wayne. It it could well have been Francois Mitterrand, as once again, we never got to hear anything. Pardon? Eh? I definitely need to get this hearing aid sorted out. You know, we talked before about moments when you really don't want anyone who isn't a regular listener to be listening to the archers with you. I had one of those. Mm. The builder came in just as Clary was saying to Pat, Did he enjoy the elf migration? <laughs> oh. <laughs> It was a week of noisy kisses. Not only did we have Justin smacking his lips over Jennifer, we also had rustlings in the undergrowth on Lakey Hill. Mm. Toby and Pip got a bit pissy boots on warm lager and then had a fumble. One minute they were sitting in the scrub on Lakey Hill, Pip was wittering on about black caps, and the next minute Toby was knee-deep in her culvert. Poor Rex. <laughs> As nearly the whole village has now twigged that Justin and Lillian are at it like knives, it is surprising that his wife seems to be displaying all the detection skills of harassment Burns trying to track down that bunting. Anyway, that all seems to be going swimmingly and they went to Wimbledon together. New balls, please. Ian silently won the Borsetcher Businesswoman of the Year award. He was overwhelmed, Jennifer said, so overwhelmed he lost the power of speech, apparently. I was so fascinated by the fact that we'd fallen into Terry in June with the mayor's wife and the matching dresses that I forgot to cheer when Helen won the prize for best old lag in the dairy with her Borsetcher blues cheeses. Mm. Elizabeth and Richard went on a date, sort of, which was ruined by the extraordinary general meeting of the Ambridge Cricket Club Committee. What was extraordinary was that anyone turned up at all. The twins have finished their GCSEs. They did slightly different subjects, Elizabeth said. Uh, Lily is doing English, Latin, physics, chemistry and maths. Freddie's doing plasticine, digging and spoons. <laughs> so, back to the cricket. It is in a parlous state. Other teams have slap-up tees and pitches like green velvet. Ambridge has a plate of auntie cardboards, bendy gingers. Whatever was in the reduced to clear box in the village shop. And when they're bowling, they have to hurdle elves on the run-up. Anyway, harassment has been made captain in absentia he'll be delighted he'll get to wear his i'm the captain t-shirt that fallon made him out of two pan scrubs and an old nighty how's that oh great catch he's out <laughs> leg before clean bold <laughs> well done freeman thank you very much i quite I enjoyed that this week i did one googly joke you didn't you didn't hard not to do a googly joke when but you did mention uh, new balls yep but first, before the caller in us, before some interesting map talk, it's Lucy <laughs> we're laughing for. Nothing <laughs> at all. <laughs> you, you set me up then. Hi, <laughs> 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 hey, <laughs> It's Lucy Freeman's Week in Average. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. <laughs> we began the week with lumpy porridge, crispy kedgeree and eggs bogged up at Grange Farm. Clary and Emma handled the situation with their customary professionalism. They used a pile driver to break out the lumps in the porridge, told the guests the kedgeree was stir-fried rice and used a leftover tin of custard from Blossom Hill Cottage instead of the hollandaise sauce. The cows have still got the clap. They all had to line up at the <laughs> clinic looking a bit sheepish, which is really hard for cows. They got given some cream and a sticker that says, pull the other one with a picture of a laughing condom on it. The bridge farm lot took the brookers' news with the customary relaxed attitude they always have. It'll damage our good name, said Tom. Ah, yes, the good name of Bridge Farm. Would that be the association with the tempted manslaughter or the E. coli flavoured yoghurt sausage boy? <laughs> the penny finally dropped with Pip. It made a sort of donging noise as it clonked her on the back of the head. Sadly, no fatal damage, but we live in hope. The noble Toby <laughs> urged her not to own up, to follow his own example and lie like a shifty creep. This was after he'd been picking mallow leaves in the middle of the night to summon the blessings of the moon goddess. Honestly, there are so many bizarre storylines going on in Ambridge at the moment. It's like bloody Twin Peaks. The next scene we hear will be the log lady coming into the village shop. Toby had a bit of a wake-up call. He went on to look at a proper gin palace with Kenton. Oh, wow, this is really good, he said wonderingly. It's all clean, and the women were really nice, and they, like, put loads of money in it. It's like a proper business, and they weren't, like, making it in a bucket or filtering it through a rugby shirt. Usha is starting a campaign for women who want to join clubs for sport they are rubbish at. It's discrimination that I should be prevented from representing Ambridge in the cricket team when I can't hit a cow's ass with a banjo, said Usha furiously. <laughs> Linda has set up a rival campaign for women who are excluded from joining the campaign for women who want to join clubs for sport they are rubbish at. Although, as it's Linda's campaign, it's probably at which they are rubbish. Harrisman didn't understand why none of the women mm -hmm. were turning up for nets. I don't know why, as a cricket captain surely has heard of boycott. Darrington is holding a load of fluorescent jackets and speed cameras hostage. Honestly, Ambridge is weird, but the Darrington lot are unhinged. Linda decided to add her own element of absurdity by deliberately speeding through Darrington to find out what happened. She got nicked. That's what happened. Fagash and Justin won't coke. Fagash and Justin went coconutting on a lovely spring morning, and I thought they'd had some sort of rapprochement, and then they weren't speaking to each other. 
Have I missed another meeting? It all got very confusing. Lillian still works for Justin, you know, Jennifer explained to Susan. We're just not quite sure what he's paying her for. She's very good at oral <laughs> dictation and taking things down quickly. Take my hand, Brian, said Justin. Why, are you a stranger in paradise, asked Brian. Then Lillian and Justin met up and had a snippy little conversation. Justin said, come for a cup of tea. I don't mind if you're sweaty. And Lillian said, I can't. I've got to rub down Maisie. Funny how people have pet names for things, isn't it? It seems to me that they've both <laughs> been reading these daft dating books like The Rules, Women Who Love Too Much, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, Lillian's a Moron and Justin's a Penis. Jill was in hooty <laughs> mood as she cross-questioned Jennifer about Lillian and Justin. She was as confused as me, which is why she suggested to Jenny Darling she freshened their coffee. Who freshens coffee? You make another one. Unless freshening it means slipping a bit of old navy rum in it, which would make sense, as we all know that's the one way to unleash Jenny Darling's indiscretion. One whiff of a ring pull and she starts spouting secrets like a geyser. Sal Blakedown got cross and we all know what she's like. She's got a tongue like a Mac 3 when she gets going, that woman. Anisha forgot to cancel the open day. Anyone else thinking we've seen the last of Anisha and that she sodded off with her cricket bat and a horse's eye in her back pocket? Emma was in a bad mood, which is hardly surprising when Fallon forces her to listen to Judy Garland on a loop for the whole of the working day. Apparently, Ed's miserable because he wanted a ram lamb. How Emma resisted the urge to shout ram lamb a ding dong, I don't know, because I certainly <laughs> didn't. Ambridge Hall was packed with mothers and daughters on Sunday. The house was so full, the masseurs had to use Robert's study. He made good use of her, though, as he'd been feeling a little stiff for ages. The end. Ooh. Oh, well done. I enjoyed that this week. Uh, you know, I'm really marvelling at your ability, um, not just to find the humour, because you do that every week, but actually to find stuff to talk about. Because I, I kind of feel it's slightly slim, slim pickings at the moment, but you've managed to find them. So, so <laughs> thumbs up to you, Mrs. Now, um, uh, I'm just going to quickly say something, Mr. Wilson, that then it's over to you to fundamentally drive this show, right? Because I, you and I, Headley, spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago now. Yeah. And um, I loved it. And um, I said to you, kind of, half emotionally that you are the reason why I listen to the archers and that is absolutely categorically the fact you know your wonderful acting back in in the 1980s uh, when you were having that affair with that horrible police policeman um, so uh, I just like to re remind remind you of that uh, but also uh, we had a call uh, which we did play out on the show on Monday which I think everybody got Oh God, I'm getting my days mixed up because of the time difference here. But anyway, on the 200th show, which you were supposed to be on, we had a call from Dusty, who's one of our stalwart listeners, and I just thought I'd play it for you now. Hello, it's Dusty Substances here, the wrong sort of listener. Uh, just a couple of things, really. Um, first of all, I'm thrilled to bits that Headley is going to be on a couple of Dumdy Nums upcoming. I thought her portrayal of Kathy was marvellous and um, particularly um, in the aftermath of the rape um, and, and in fact the lead up to it as well I just thought she played an absolute blinder I really loved it um, and she was also very nice if you ever rang Archer's Addicts to order um, a book or something like that she often answered the phone herself so um, wow excellent and she needs to be back in Ambridge I think um, the other point I was going to make was about Linda. There you go. 
There you oh, go. That's fantastic. Bless her. That's very kind. It is. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Dusty Substances. Now, following on, Headley, from what uh, Dusty Substances said, we have uh, a message from Witherspoon, who is one of our uh, long-time contributors. He's a New York psychoanalyst, so I'm a bit scared of him because he might actually know what's wrong with my head. So I, 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 I want to be very careful here. But he says that when he started listening to The Archers, Kathy had already been through a lot of bad times and she she always felt forlorn to him and in fact he uses the term clinically dysthymic which i've no idea what it is so everyone can everyone can look that up dysthymic mm. dysthymic d-y-s-t-h-y-m-i-c dysthymic so oh, I'll look that up. so he found yeah, yeah so he said it, it found it was it's quite harrowing to listen to poor old kathy yeah and he wants kathy to come back with really joyful storylines. So what I was thinking is, if if and when Kathy comes back into view, which we all hope she does, what storylines would you really like to see her being involved in? Well, that's an interesting one. I'd like to see her being part and parcel of the village. I'd love her to have a conversation at one stage. I mean, it wouldn't be funny, but a conversation <laughs> at some stage with Helen because these two women have both been oh, victims. Yes. And um, Kathy has gone through it, and Helen, who is a bit more neurotic to start with, has still got quite a lot to go through. Um, that that I would be interested in. As, as a listener, I'd be interested in that one. Um, I'd also like Jamie back in. I'd like Kathy interacting with Jamie. I think you could have a certain amount of comedy with the kind of woman he might bring back, mm. because um, that... That could be fun because we don't really know what Jamie has been up to, but I'm sure as a young lad he'll have been up to something. So that will be fun. One of the things we say is that if you want stories, you have to have three people in one of the houses at least. Right. Two people don't make it. You 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 need three to to bounce off each other. Um, it's a bit like we say. Well, we say um, that for married couples, they're more married if there's another person around. It hmm. makes it happen. So, yes, uh, I think there could be some yardage. Certainly, again, it's not necessarily comedy, but Grey Gables is a, in a very interesting situation at the moment, and we don't really know what Oliver's going to do. We know that Linda is extremely dominating. I think you could have some quite nice interchanges with Linda and Kathy, because Kathy as a character is quite a foil. And in a way, more as a foil for the other characters than than comic within herself. So, how do you play that differently? If if you're a foil for for other people to you're a feed. So, if you're yeah. in theatre, what happens is um, it's to do with timing. So, if somebody's coming in with a laugh line, um, it usually goes in threes. So, it could be, I can't think of a laugh line at the moment, but it could be um, that's the orange over there. So, Kathy would say, "Where? Um, over there." But I can't see it. It's over there. Ah! And, and that kind of creates the comic moment. Okay. Uh, but she doesn't have the punchline that's funny. No. Mm. She... Okay. So we've got... Uh, I I've, I've think I've got... Oh, I've got a pronunciation. <laughs> it's diasthemic, not dysthymic. So I've been told off by Witherspoon. I was hoping he would give us... Um, I have heard... what it is? Well, I, I can tell you. It's a persistent depressive disorder. 
Is that what poor old cat has got? A mild but long-term form of depression. Now, I I did say this last week on the yeah. show that well, obviously I'm a big fan of you and kind of was somewhat ambivalent about how I felt about Kathy. Yes. But I never really believed that you and Kenton would actually be a workable couple. No. 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 And I know they say opposites attract, but that's really like utterly is chalk and cheese. Because you were, Kathy always played, you were, Kathy always played this very grounded. And I think this dystemic thing um, is, is on the nose, really. You know, mild but long-term form of depression. You, you, there was no fun around Kathy. No, no. And she arrived. She'd already had a, a husband that she was uh, divorced from, who who turned up and created a bit of trouble and then disappeared. So she's never been very successful in her relationships. I don't think she liked being in a pub. Um, she's very predictable middle-class woman um i don't think imagination is her strong point but she's kind and mm. she's warm-hearted and and she does her bit um but life has given her a few knocks the funny thing is that in my own person as as headley um the sort of work i did in the theater was always comedies i used to get my i did blithe spirit i played the maid Edie in that and and the challenge was how many laughs could you get just walking across the stage carrying a tray while shenanigans were going on on the sofa um so i did a lot of comedy and my timing is comedic and i find it quite amusing that i wound up with kathy for about 30 plus years playing this to me a rather narrow uh, woman who hasn't got a strong sense of humour um, mm. and and who isn't really very funny. Well, isn't funny at all. I mean, I feel quite sorry for her. don't know if I'd be a friend of hers. I don't think I quite like her, but uh, she doesn't encourage intimacy. Uh, it's <laughs> Lucy V. Freeman and her week in Ambridge. <laughs> We began the week at Greenwood Cottage. What do you fancy doing after Nick's funeral? asked Alan jovially. Well, I don't think I fancy going on anywhere, said William doubtfully. Oliver was like the angel of death with a checkbook, trotting round the village spraying checks like a geezer. I didn't even know he was back, to be honest. Where's he been? Not that I care. I'm too worried about what the hell is happening with the fair brethren. Now, Rex knows about geese and cleaning vomit off car seats. I can believe that. I can also believe that Toby knows about geese, a little tiny bit about lambs and about gin, but I wouldn't even endorse him on LinkedIn for that. Since when did either of them know anything about bloody pigs? Why has Neil not approached Ed, who has at least a nodding acquaintance with looking after livestock? If a parachuting business came up in the village, would Toby be urging Rex to have a crack at that? Pigs are complex, intelligent animals prone to various health conditions. The fair brethren seem to just take on these projects with the casual interest of someone agreeing to water their neighbour's garden. Stand by for a field full of dead pigs and a mystified looking Rex scratching his head. He fed them loads of grain and couldn't understand why they couldn't get on their perches. Over at home farm, Brian is going do lally. He was nattering it to Adam 
who's worried he still can't fill all his slots, which doesn't sound like Adam at all. And then Brian said, we can't <laughs> afford to waste tractor time. Oh, I love that show. Tractor time, tractor time. Having turned Ambridge into Salisbury, Brian has now decided to fix everything. <laughs> everything by throwing money at it. Oliver is wandering around the village clockwise with a checkbook full of munificence and Brian is wandering around the other way, waving his wallet about. It's all my fault, you know, probably. All of it. Would you like some money? So far, he has decided to book masseurs for spiritual hummus and accidentally came across Kiki Pratchett trying to span Jim's octave. Then he tried to make Adam happy by giving him a huge lorry load of soil to sample to his little heart's content. Then he bought lunch for a group of men in the pub. They were wearing high-vis jackets, so Brian assumed they were the decontamination team. They weren't, actually. They were a local road crew filling holes on the Borchester bypass. But when Brian sees someone in utility wear, he doesn't look that closely. He's allowing Kate to indulge her inner Donald Trump, and he's building her a wall, not to keep the Mexicans out, but to keep the Sophies in. He offered to massage some of her clients. <laughs> Kate refused to let him on the grounds. If they were local, he probably had a bash at them already. And he was last seen in the Bridge Farm dairy, struggling to put a hygiene hairnet over his tweed cap so he could give Clary a hand filling the yogurt pots with E. coli before the National Judging Panel for the Food and Farming Wards came round. Not that it's made any difference. He told Jenny about his good works and she just stared at him and said, you bastard, Brian, or words to that effect. If he'd told her he'd given Piggy one of his kidneys, she'd just say, and what about the other one? Adam managed the impossible and got dumped by Michael before he'd even got started. They met in a pub and Michael told him he felt he was toxic. It's not me, it's you, he said. You cannot join our soil club because you are a dirty, dirty boy. Here you go, I only got you a half because you'll not be stopping long. And now the big news of the week. No, not that Will Grundy's log pile is now bigger than his house. It's that Shula has given Alistair the bums rush. It started when she announced that she wanted to take three months off to go and look after three-legged horses on a beach. There's loads of knackered old donkeys at Margate, Shula. Go and look after them. You don't need to fly anywhere and you'll have lots of change out of your two grand. But like all these charity things, it seems to involve something that looks suspiciously like a holiday with a thin layer of piety over the top. Who sponsor me to go and play with baby chimpanzees in the Maldives? It's going to be awful, but I shall struggle through. <sighs> Alistair sees enough three-legged horses and didn't fancy it, but he was bright enough to twig that Shula might be a little bit bored. So he suggested a surprise. Shula envisaging an evening full of nipple tassels and whipped cream, whizzed off to Fabrice of Felpersham to get ready. She was going to go for the full Brazilian, but ended up with the Brexit. That's where things look clear enough from a distance, but when you get up close, you can't <laughs> tell what the hell's going on. <laughs> Upon return, she discovered Alistair had bought her a lump of tamarind instead for a curry, so she ground that in one of her nipple cups and then told her that there was no way he could compete with a three-legged horse and that she was off. She cleared off to the ball in its frequent guise as Heartbreak Hotel. It is a rule of Ambridge that anyone who has split up with a partner moves into the ball. In fact, Lillian's in and out of there so often they've had to fit a revolving door. And then Kenton came to pick up Shula's pants, don't ask, and found the book she'd been reading. <laughs> the History of Oedipus. I don't know where you are, Dorothy Love, but if I were you, I'd keep moving and carry a loaded gun. The end. Oh, that was a triumph this week. You know what? There was a large layer of funny on that. Well done, Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, smashing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.